knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals, and I am Colleen Sharp, and Angela Whitehorn is here, my co-host, and sometimes we hope to bring Ashley back sometimes too. We do still consider her one of the Theology Gals, although I kind of like consider... All the girls that listen to us, theology gals. Too, so. <laughs> we have a lot of theology gals. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, our group um, in the last month went over the five thousand. I know it's just it's crazy. We need and a cake. I know. <laughs> you know what? Even better, donuts. <gasps> oh, I have big plans to get donuts tomorrow morning. Actually. Oh, I'm yes. really jealous. When yes. we were in Canada, because we just got back from our trip a couple of days ago, we um, went to, what's that place, that donut place up there? Oh, I know uh, what you're talking about. It's a it's a person's name. Yeah. Is it, it like Horton Tim or Tom? Tim, Tim? Tim Horton. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, so we may have gone there a couple <laughs> of times. I oh, so gotten... is it amazing? I've never eaten there before, but I've heard it's good. Well, okay, so I know that this is maybe going to, I I am a donut person, like, Um, I like, I'm, I don't have a huge sweet tooth, but when I do, what I want is cookies and donuts. Like I don't care about cake. I don't, I'm not a chocolate person, but cookies and donuts, donuts is like, I just have a weak spot for them. And so, uh, yeah, we, but this is the thing that was interesting is when we were in Quebec, a few years ago, we got some of the best donuts at a Tim Horton I've ever had in my life. And I think it was Quebec. It could have been Ontario, but I think it was Quebec. And, uh, and, but they didn't, they had like some specialty ones at that one. And they didn't have those ones at the ones that we went to. Um, but they, we, they still had great ones. I'm not a Krispy Kreme person. I, I don't really like, yeah, you get one of those raise glaze when they're hot and and they're they're good and all but that's not my thing as much as um as as tim hortons but best donut i used to ever have and i cannot tell you the name of the place but it was near my employers in mundelein illinois i don't even remember if it was in mundelein but there was just a a place and had the like my very favorite donut is a raised with just sugar on it 
and they had the best one I'd I'd ever had. But I really like a good cake donut too. So, so I I'm gonna have to get you to take a road trip to Memphis, Tennessee. That's uh, where most of my years I grew up, um, and try the donuts at Gibson's Donuts in Memphis, Tennessee. Alton Brown says they're the best donuts in okay, the country. Okay, well then I I'm there. You know and they're pretty I have, amazing. <laughs> I have then I will definitely when I when I go to Tennessee. You know I have been to 47 states now. I have three left: um, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alaska. Oh my! And so, yeah. So uh, my husband and I have been talking about actually flying out to Tennessee sometime and just you know driving around and stuff so we we have some friends there um so i'm excited (laughs) to visit there (laughs) okay for our listeners who don't personally know colleen she number one knows everyone in the reformed world literally everyone number two has friends everywhere 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 so when she says oh we have some friends there i'm thinking of course you of course you do of course you do well have your friends go to gibson's donuts with you they're they're amazing they are yeah oh well i definitely i i would love it and and it's funny because um i couldn't sleep one night and um i got up in the middle of the night and i'm like i'm gonna have just a little piece of this donut because i gotta save some for my husband Oh, it's really good. We can get more. <laughs> so, anyways, that's my weakness. Send donuts to <laughs> Colleen Sharp at no <laughs> virtual donuts. <laughs> no, the real one. <laughs> Don't yeah. waste your time on that virtual stuff. <laughs> right. No, although a real the truth is, it's best when you, when you get them when you get them fresh. fresh. You yeah. know, you can get Chicago pizza. Yeah. Um, I think Giordano's or is it uh, Giordano's or Luminales? Yeah. One of them does like you can get the frozen ones and uh-huh. you can buy them frozen too. So my when my husband will go to Chicago, like he went with my son Ben for a a um, Blackhawks game, and you know they'll get like six of them <laughs> and come back with yeah. frozen pizzas. But they're not as good as when you actually go there. But then if you don't have access to them at all. Frozen yes. Chicago pizza is far superior to no Chicago. Do pizza. you know we have a Giordano's in downtown Denver now? Wow, that is pretty fortunate, right there. That's yeah. Uh, we we went actually for my son Ben's birthday recently, so yes, we get that tonight. We're going to be talking about several things regarding children and the church, and. I love talking about these topics with you, Angela, because our children being different ages. And so, you know, even though my children are older and used to be young, I might not remember some of that stuff. I'm not right there in it. So, you know, I love being able to talk to you about these things. But we're going to talk about just kind of everything. We're going to focus primarily on, you know, kids in the worship service and how that works. I know that's a new idea for some people, but... You know, is that a necessary thing? Where does that idea come from? What are some of the different views? And primarily talk about that. And then uh, we're going to also just talk a little bit about training your children in the faith. And then I have a couple questions from the group that go along with this that if we have time, we will get to. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of debate. If you go in some of these reform groups, you can sometimes find a lot of debate. And even in Theology Gals, there's been some heated discussions about 
kids in the church. And I will say for myself, uh, I grew up sitting in the worship service. It wasn't until I was a little older that our church started a children's church. And it wasn't even all the time. Like, you know, sometimes somebody would be like, okay, we're going to do children's church and it would last a little bit. But for the most part, and I think children's churches is a newer uh, practice. So I would think probably people more like my age and their 40s and older than me uh, probably didn't grow up with children's church. What was your experience? Um, I believe that the church where I grew up started doing a really regular children's church um, just after I was past the age for it. So my memories growing up and being in church are of being in the service. Um, I think that, um, you know, folks who went to my church who are maybe 10 years younger than me, their memory would be of being in children's church. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think that was a thing that was kind of coming in vogue, um, maybe in the nineties and becoming sort of the thing. Um, I, I think maybe, uh, the the idea the drive to be to have something to hold the children's attention, um, maybe uh, allow parents to have uh, time to pay attention as well and not have to parent at the same time. Um, but yeah, my experience is similar to yours. My memories are of being in the service. I didn't investigate this this at all, but I'm starting to think as you're talking. I wonder if it paralleled kind of the church growth movement at all. Mm, Definitely. I know that my own church uh, was certainly interested in the, um, you know, some of the main leaders of the church growth movement, um, certainly interested in some of the things going on at um, like the Willow Creek model and that sort of thing. My church was definitely interested in those sorts of things, I think, for like a praise team, children's church, that sort of thing. The whole, like, this is the whole system that grows your church. So yeah, I think that that's a great possibility that it's really connected with the church growth movement. And I've seen it work a couple of different of different ways. In fact, my husband even worked with one of the age groups at Willow Creek <laughs> um, back in his early days. He went to Willow Creek. That, If you're not familiar with it, it's a huge mega church in Chicago. It was kind of like the very one of the first mega churches and a lot of the mega churches that came especially in the 90s uh were modeled after the willow creek model but i know at i believe at willow creek from what i saw i visited there a couple times in the early 90s that the kids were not in the service at all so they went to children's church parents went to regular church uh the church that i grew up in I know at certain portions, and I'm not sure what they do now in case anyone that I went to church with might know, but um, it it was the sort of thing when they started, at least when I was younger, and sometimes I would go to help. I was at the age where I would go and help some of the younger kids. But the way that they did it was the kids stayed in the service until right before the sermon, and then they went out for children's church, which, you know, for... I think I would prefer that to having them out, you know, for the entire thing, um, being in, you know, part part of the service. So I think it's kind of run. There's a couple a couple different models, and and I think as far as what they do in children's church really can vary depending on the church. And 
I'm not an expert in children's church. And, you know, and I was, I was trying to research the history of children's church online. And there's just, you know, all I get is the history of Sunday school, not much on an actual tr- children's church. But I think sometimes it's more of an evangelistic mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. sometimes it might be like a, a Sunday school, but maybe a little different. Um, I know one that I'm aware of. The kids would all come into a big room. They would sing some songs, and then they would split into their age group. So there's all there's not one way to do children's church. I guess is my point. Well, Colleen, I have to quiz you then and find out what you did to help in children's church because when I was helping in children's church, what I was a part of was the puppet ministry. Now this is a very uh, important I'm a and exclusive <laughs> ministry here. You really have to have skills to be on the puppet ministry. This is just one step below ministry of word and sacrament. That's all I really <laughs> say. Ministry. Puppet ministry. So um, for all of our listeners, that's right. I was on the puppet ministry. <laughs> I always wanted to be on a puppet ministry, so, you know, well, yeah, like I missed out. I, it's at the very years. top of my resume still to this day. <laughs> well, Degree in was, finance, MBA, puppet ministry. <laughs> I, m- mine was more um, keep, keep the, the three-year-olds uh, behaving. <laughs> That's what I did please, in children's please church. Please don't burn the, the church down. Please right? don't burn the church down. <laughs> So I was not as talented as you, obviously. <laughs> I didn't claim I was talented. <laughs> I just said I was on it. <laughs> uh, now I will say we, I did sometimes help with the with the singing, mm. and I saw a meme recently, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was this uh, prog- this program that they had these plays you could do and singing back when we were mm-hmm. young, and it was called Salty. Oh, it was like a big of hymnal. course. You yes, remember that? Absolutely. With Charity Church Mouse, of course. Yes. Yeah. So I helped. Um, so I really did like help with some of those salty plays and, mm-hmm. and songs and stuff. Oh, good times. Bring back Children's Church. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. So, and, you know, I think we're not going to, this isn't. Um, going to be an in-depth critique on on children's church. I think we want to focus more on what some of the models are, but then um we are we are going to talk about what what we believe based on a reformed and presbyterian ecclesiology, which we'll get to that. So something that's become popular and I want to say really in the last 15 years is the family integrated church movement. And I'm probably going to say this 10 times in this podcast, but it's so important to me. The family integrated church movement is different than um, Reformed and Presbyterians leaving, keeping their kids in the service. So I've, I've noticed online that sometimes people think that family integrated church means your kids stay in the service, but it's actually far more than that. It really was, it really was quite uh, a movement and really is a, it is a Baptist, uh, Movement. I think a lot of them tend to be Calvinistic. I know even some Reformed Baptists, but in all my reading, and I read so much about this, I actually found a lot of Reformed Baptists that were also highly critical of it. So it's not something like this is a Reformed Baptist thing at all. I think it's there's um, in-house disagreements on on whether it's 
a good thing. Um, so what, the Family Integrated Church, it it's designed to intentionally eliminate unnecessary age-segregated structures from the church's ministry. So what I've learned is that there's different extremes, but the the really foundationally they would be opposed to things like Sunday school. Although there are family churches that would say we're family integrated, but we we do have Sunday school. So like I said, that there there are different different extremes, I guess, within the movement. But it really focuses on the father is in charge of discipling his children. It can be as extreme as uh, the father is even the one that gives communion to his family. And uh, there's a big push to be against youth groups within it. And, you know, that the parents are responsible for the spiritual nurturing of their children and, and training and teaching of their children. And we shouldn't be farming that out to ministries within the church. And so let me just say, first of all, I I can appreciate their concerns with uh, kind of our, the cultural attack on the family. And I can also appreciate their concerns about how many different programs there are in, in the church. Um, and parents not, you know, working with their own children, teaching and training. So let me say that. <laughs> have yeah. you run into this at all? You know, I have not ever personally been to a um, a true family integrated church. You know, in the Baptist world, um, of course, I'm Presbyterian now. I go to a PCA, so we are covenantal. So, like you said earlier, and we'll say it a few other times, probably that's very different from what family integrated church looks like. So, I have not been a part of this kind of church. So. Um, I'm glad that you did so much research on this because it is very, very interesting to me to see sort of the stark difference between what's going on underneath family integrated church and why it is the way that it is and see the contrast with the covenantal church, which is what we do uh, in Presbyterian churches. But, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed that I think is interesting about this model um, is that it sort of, um, you know, Colleen, you and I were talking about this earlier, and I, I kind of made up a term and said it's it kind of feels to me like um, in some versions, some implementations of this family integrated church, um, it kind of reduces the faith unit down to the family, to where the family is acting as its own church. The father is the pastor, the elders. Um, the father is uh, the mediator for the family, um, and really where all of the authority um, resides is right there with the father, and it removes it from the church as a whole, um, which is very, very different than the covenantal model. You know, it's interesting you said that. I have a quote, and it's it's such an interesting quote. I just wanted to read it. It's from Sam Waldron. He's a Reformed Baptist. And in critiquing the family integrated church, he said, all this being said, there are significant philosophical and practical issues raised by this movement that contradict a biblical ecclesiology and infringe on the rights and authority of the church. The church is not a collection of families, but a collection of believers. It is not an extension of the family, but a completely different and sovereign institution. 
The family was instituted at creation and is a creation institution, while the church in its present and final form was instituted after the work of redemption accomplished by Christ and is a redemptive institution. Anyways, he goes on, but one of the things um, he says at the end of this quote, and I'll, I can link this article in the episode notes. To sum up, the church does not exercise authority over its members through the mediation of heads of household or as families, but as individual believers. Its authority over the women of the church is not exercised, for instance, through the head of the family. The authority is direct. While children are under the care and authority of the family, parents of children who are members ought to be grateful for and recognize the right of the church to evangelize their children with their consent. So it's kind of what exactly exactly what what you were talking about mm. there. Yeah, I really uh, this quote that you found by someone named Kostenberger who wrote a critique um, of the family integrated church movement in a book called Home, Marriage and Family. Um, the core of his critique is this, and this is a quote, the fam- it gives the family an unduly high status that is unwarranted in light of the biblical teaching on the subject. Okay, and so I know that we probably have listeners right now who just hear that, hear that and go, whoa, an unduly high status put on the family. Yeah, I mean, we can't raise the family high enough because it's been under attack. And, and just like you already said, um, we really do appreciate that um, cultural issue that we want to um, raise up and support families because, yeah, the family is under attack. But the answer to that really is not to replace the church with the family. Um, the church uh, is um, something unique and special that the family cannot be um, in place of. And so, you know, I love in, uh, I'm, go to a PCA church, and I'm a member of a PCA church. And when we become members, we take a vow that says that um, we vow to submit to the authority of the church's leaders and to study and practice her peace. All the members of the family are voluntarily submitting to authority there in the church. And so um, there's something going on there that really can't be replaced by the family unit. And that saying that doesn't mean that we don't value families. We do. Um, but that's within the context of a covenant community. And let me, let me say, because I know we have some listeners that go to family integrated churches and they may be saying, but ours isn't like that. And mm, so yeah. as a lot of the critiques did, I want to recognize that some of these critiques are really about one extreme of the movement, and I'm aware that uh, that some within the movement have addressed those extremes. You know, I found one Reformed Baptist had an interesting quote, because one thing I learned is that it didn't just include this family-integrated thing, that a lot of times, at least with this extreme part of the movement, it is a more um, patriarchy view. And this was a Reformed Baptist, and I neglected to write 
the name down, but I, I'm going to link all these articles in the episode notes. Um, he says, family integrated churches elevate certain principles of liberty or personal conviction to a standard of holiness and or church polity. And his examples are homeschooling, no women working outside the home, full quiver, which means we don't use any birth control. We have as many kids as we can. No daughters in college, courtship only. And he says, which amounts to legalism. In such a church culture, it is very easy for the gospel not to be the main thing and to communicate to the next generation that being a Christian means you do these things. And um, someone else said it promotes a Victorian vision of patriarchy rather than a biblical one. And so I know that some of the critiques are because it includes a lot of other things also that we've talked about on this very podcast, you know. Right. And just to reiterate, that's not to say that all family integrated churches are patriarchy, but we do often see these things go hand in hand because there's a lot of the same theological underpinnings going on, that the father is sort of the uh, mediator, the spiritual mediator for the family, and um, that that sort of theological idea is present in the patriarchy uh, movement um, and also in the family integrated church movement. So, so um, frequently you will see them go hand in hand. I just heard probably a few weeks ago a popular teacher, I'm not even going to say who, who said that that the, the husband is the prophet and priest to his wife. And mm. people may not understand this, but when you say priest... And Catholic, people that maybe grew up Catholic will understand this. You are saying that the husband is the mediator between the wife and God. Mm-hmm. And I think this it's very similar to some in the more extreme versions of the family integrated church. Well, what's our view in contrast? It's interesting because I think people who are new to the idea of kids being in the church will sometimes be like, I go to a PCA, it's family integrated. And, and really all mm-hmm, they mean is... Mm-hmm. The kids stay in the service. And yeah. so how our view is different, and and I think that this needs to be really needs to be distinguished here, is the reason that, um, that we would keep our kids in the service is going to be different than the reasons that um, a Baptist would keep their kids in the service. Mm. And there's many Baptists that do that aren't part of the family integrated church movement. In fact, I've read a lot of those. But our children through baptism, are part of the covenant community. Right. So as part of the covenant community, we believe that they should be present with us, worshiping on the Lord's Day, rehearsing for what we will be doing in eternity because they're part of the covenant community. Um, And so we want to, right from the start, include them in what we are called to do, what we are saved for, for the Lord. And for those, because I know we've gotten a lot of new listeners recently, and so we may be kind of now surprising some people. Wait, you baptize your babies? And isn't that Catholic what you think baptism saves your babies? And no, we don't think that at all. We, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. Um, and we've done, I'll actually link our episode on baptism in the episode notes, because I think it's important to at least understand what it is that we believe about baptism. But we do believe that our children are part of the covenant community, and... And therefore, they they worship with us. 
they are they are part of the church family in a very specific way. Mm. Yeah, and you know, earlier I used a silly sort of made up term, faith unit. I mean, it, <laughs> I was sort of thinking through, okay, I'm a newer Presbyterian, and I see a stark contrast um, in how sort of the covenant community view operates and what that feels like. And it's very, um, I can very easily feel that the emphasis is on the covenant community as the faith unit. That's what and just as the family doesn't replace the church, the church doesn't replace the family. You know, the family has a function that's different from the church. But um, the covenant community um, has a unity there in some things. And, you know, we take vows. We're all a part of that together. And there is a certain kind of connection there um, that plays out when you have your your children in the service and... Um, you know, I've noticed at my church, so I have younger children, I've noticed at my church, um, sometimes other adults will help me along with some parenting, um, will give my kids guidance, um, will praise my kids for doing uh, a good job of participating in the service. Um, and it's, and I'm not saying that that can't take place in any other kind of church, but there's a certain way that that is sort of the view of this is what the covenant community is for. We are a body, um, and that is really emphasized and different than the basic unit being like, okay, we're the f- the family is where the worship happens, and we just kind of all assemble together as a bunch of families. Well, when we come together on the Lord's Day, um, it's, as you said in the quote earlier, Colleen, we're coming as individuals before the Lord together in that community. Um, and it's just, uh, it's very beautiful. It feels very different to me and I love it. It's beautiful. And those individuals together are part of one family. Yes. Yes. And and that, and that is what is, what really is, is beautiful. You know, I was explaining to my kids, um, one day this week, we had, uh, someone from our church come to babysit And I was taking the babysitter home, and my kids were in the car, and um, they said, I really wish that she could be in our family. And (laughs) I I got to explain, well, you know what? We're in our church together, and that does make us family. We are part of a covenant community together, and that is a kind of family. And, um, yeah, they loved that. So uh, I I love the covenant community. That's a really neat story. Yeah. That's that's really neat. You know, I know that some people, some moms may be listening, thinking, you know, I'd love to keep my kids in the service, but you don't know how my kids are. (laughs) Actually, we're going to talk about that in a second. I wanted to briefly just talk about Sunday school. One thing I found out in the Family Integrated Church is that, um, you know, some people said, I love the idea of having the kids in the in the service, and and I agree that. Uh, you know, that we shouldn't be farming our kids out just to all kinds of things, making that responsible for the spiritual training of our children. But I also think Sunday school serves a, a neat purpose for our kids, too. And so, you know, I sometimes I, I saw a comment just today, and it was in another group where some, and a, someone may have said something similar in our group. You know, I don't see anything in scripture about Sunday school, you know, um, but let now, um, Sunday school, I guess, in church history is fairly new, although 
um, if you do any reading, I, and I can put a couple historical articles in the episode notes. If you do any reading, there may have been other types of things throughout church history, but specifically Sunday school really in the in the 1700s, um, a lot of times this is where poor children were learning to read because, um, you know, they did, we didn't, there wasn't a public school on every corner back at that time. And, uh, you know, especially poor children who are often working were, um, you know, didn't have an opportunity to, to learn some of these things. And one of the interesting things that I learned is that, that, there was some controversy about whether we should be teaching to read on the Lord's Day, which I thought was was interesting. But a lot of times, and even until even until um, into the last century, Sunday school was seen as you know a part of life, where sometimes even parents would send their kids to Sunday school, even though they didn't even go to church. So I know even when I was growing up in the eighties. A lot of times churches had these ch- these church vans for the Sunday school program, and they would go and, and pick up children to bring them so that they could go to Sunday school. So Sunday schools kind of evolved in different ways, and then it eventually kind of became, at, at some point, um, it did become kind of part of the, the biblical instruction for children. And not just for children. I think a lot Adults of our churches, well. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and I enjoy Sunday school because a lot of times uh, we've done studies that are you know just di- different than obviously different than the worship. Um, I think in most of the churches that I've been in since being reformed, it's been the pastor, one of the elders that teaches Sunday school, and we've done all all sorts of different um, things. Sometimes we've done gone through a a book together or even a video series or the pastor teaches on something uh and i know that in a couple of the reformed churches i've been in they also had a catechism time so like in one in particular they would have um sunday school first and um and then there was 15 minutes where everyone gathered together for um catechism time so we'd go over a couple of the shorter catechism questions and then some of the kids would say some of their catechism questions and answers. And, and then I, I know that in some reformed churches that that's what's done during Sunday school is, um, catechizing. Mm, I love that. Um, yeah, my church has, um, Sunday school for both adults and children. Um, all of the children go together into a Sunday school if you choose to send, um, your children to the Sunday school. Um, and what I love about the adult Sunday school at my church, um, it's usually taught by our pastors or elders, but this is one of the wonderful things about living in a big city. (laughs) We often have, um, recognized experts in different topics come and uh, do special topics for Sunday school classes. And that has been so wonderful, super enjoyable. I I also love it when our pastors teach. So, um, but it has been really cool to have experts come in and, you know, teach a class on Augustine or um, Jonathan Edwards or 
just different uh, topics that has been really fun. So yeah, Sunday school. I know. I want to go to your Sunday school. <laughs> you tell me about, oh, we had this in Sunday school. Yeah. Last I'm yeah. like, I want to go to your Sunday school. Yeah. It feels to me like all the time they're having these fancy people. I'm like, well, oh, I've heard of this person. You're going to come to my church and teach Sunday school. So one of the perks of city life. I love it. So <laughs> Yeah. So we're not going to get into the the pros and, and cons of Sunday school. I did want to mention real quickly, and I know that this is going to be a little bit controversial, but the, the youth group um, question. Mm. And I have to say, so youth group was a very good thing for me. Mm. Um, yeah, me too. I was really, really blessed to be in a couple of just truly wonderful youth groups. In fact, I think that I am in touch with all of my youth pastors still. And they really, uh, they really invested in me. I learned a lot. We did some in-depth Bible study in youth group. I was in a very good youth group. Now, in recent years, there's been a lot of criticism of youth groups in general. Like we're just, you know, again, farming out the kids to all these programs and and I kind of went through maybe a reactionary time of, yeah, I don't like youth group. My kids are never going to go and, and whatnot. And then my kids became teenagers. Mm. And, I, I mean, okay, youth group in a small reformed church is completely is not different. what I was part of. Yeah. It's not like your megachurch youth group. <laughs> right. Not that I was in a megachurch, but this, you know, this is like five kids that that get together on Tuesday nights to um, do a Bible study and then um, occasionally go to a conference or something like that. And, mm. and I've, I've seen it be beneficial for my kids too. So, you know, I think I'm going to say on this, when it comes to things like Sunday school, youth group, those sorts of things, um, that it's going to go back to wisdom. Mm. And it should not be a replacement for the training that parents should be doing. None of the, none of this should be a replacement for that, um, but it it's been helpful. It's been helpful for us, and in fact, uh, in my oldest son, he's almost twenty three now, and he was about fourteen. We had a a man that wasn't really a youth pastor, youth leader, I guess is what you know. And he he worked a regular job and all of that. He uh, just you know taught the the junior high, high school, Sunday school class and led a Bible study. And occasionally they didn't do tons and tons of activities, but occasionally they'd do something. But um, that man really invested in my son. In fact, uh, he moved away. In fact, he lives in Chicago now. And my son even flew out and spent time with him. Um, that's how much that that this that this man really was a good friend and mentor to my son, not a replacement for my husband as his father, me as his mother in our training of him, but he was just a mentor and a friend to him. So, you know, and I want to say too about youth group. Um, my, I know that my church has a youth group. Um, my kids are not teenagers, so, um, we're not participating in that right now, but, um, I also had a positive experience at youth group, um, like you did. And, um, I know at my church, our youth group, um, from what I understand, is bursting at the seams. They've got so many kids coming. It's growing very fast. 
And from what I understand, that's because kids are coming whose parents don't come to church, whose parents don't come to our church. And this is an entrance point for kids who aren't hearing the gospel any other way other than coming with a friend to youth group. And I think that's wonderful. I also think uh, I want to reemphasize what you said about, you know, wisdom. Um, And uh, this is one of the things that I love about um, an elder-led Presbyterian church. You know what? Our session has really deeply considered whether or not our church should have a youth group, and they believe that we should, and I am under their authority, and I really trust their judgment and their wisdom. And it seems to be something that is really helping our community and helping uh, the families at our church. Kids seem to love it. So um, right now I'm going to say I'm in favor of it, and I love it, and I love that kids are growing and hearing the gospel. So cannot complain about that. Well, we did want to talk just about for maybe young moms or people that are like, I'm now going to reform church and the kids are in the service and this is scary for me. Mm. And how do I train my kids? And you know what? Let me just say, I, I know it's not easy. I, I know that, you know, a three-year-old or four-year-old gets wiggly during during the church service. Um, what we did when our kids were young is we really used family worship as kind of training for Sunday worship. Mm. So, you know, once a day for probably about 20 minutes, we would sit and, and we'd tell the kids, you know, that you need to sit like we're in church. And of course, family worship was not as formal. We would uh, sing a song and pray and my husband would read from scripture and we would discuss it and he would ask the kids questions. We would also do catechism. But that that's one thing is using that a shorter time kind of as a practice. And and I know that there's probably debate on this, but do you give your kids things to do mm. during the service? And I will say my kids were really, really young, so not even really at that point when we visited a URC for a while. It was too far for us, and we were trying to plant one closer to us. So we didn't go there real long. But when you walked in at the back of the church – they had these little tote bags, and in the tote bag, they're basically busy bags for the kids during the service. And in them, they had these fabric um, busy books. You might remember them from when you were young, where you like mm-hmm. can button and zipper and tie and you know put things in pockets and stuff like that. So I I'm guessing that someone in the church had made them. And then there was also um, some some paper and colored pencils and that sort of thing. And what we did, um, the church that we were at when my kids were young didn't have anything like that. So we had a church tote bag, and each of my children had – there's three-ring binders that are half the size of regular ones, so they're smaller three-ring binders. And so I'd put paper in there and colored pencils, and when the sermon started, my kids got to – and this is before they could read, you know, they could color on there. And then when they, um, I actually found a book of of children's bulletins that were, um, you know, you could use them for anything. It wasn't specific for a certain message. It would have things like, you know, listen for certain words and circle when you hear that word. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just things like that. So that, that's a few ideas that, that I have. What about you, Angela? Yeah. Um, so my kids, um, I feel a little bit 
like a, a sham right now because my kids started coming to service with me um, sort of past that super little baby and toddler phase. So I did not have to struggle through that the way that I know some of our valiant mom listeners do struggle through that and, and have struggled through it with several kids. Um, so my kids are big enough now to um, sit still and participate in the um, elements of the service. And, you know, we do try to sort of lean down and whisper in their ear, this is what we're supposed to be doing right now. And, you know, I have my kids sit really close to me and um, so that I can whisper and tell them what's going on and, um, you know, help correct their posture and what they should be engaged in. Um, so that's really the training stage that I am at right now. I will also say, as far as kids going out of the service, my I love actually what my church does. Um, my church offers, uh, provides children's bulletins with a children's note page um, for families who choose to keep all uh, their children in the service. Um, there are there is um, it's not children's church but it's basically a children's lesson that takes place only during the sermon time um, if you choose to have your kids go participate in that and someone at our church actually writes the lesson every week so that it is um, about the same passage of scripture that our sermon will be on and the intention there is to just bring the sermon to their level and so this particular uh, I guess I'll call it a class, um, is only available for sort of the youngest children. I think it only goes up to second grade. And then after that, our kids are in the service for the full service. So my kids do participate in that. There's a little activity um, just to help them remember the sermon topic. And what I love about this is that um, my kids are in the sermon, uh, in the service, the entire service, except for that 30 minutes of sermon. And even though they went out, I can still talk to them in the car on the way home about what did you learn today in your class? That's the same thing that I learned in church. And we can talk about the topic and the passage of scripture because we were still all, um, you know, the covenant community learning the same thing together. Um, And so I really appreciate the way that my church does that. I think it's very uh, well thought out. I think it provides something for folks who want to use it. And um, our Uh, pastors are actually very good about explaining this every single week at the beginning of the service that this is what's going to happen and it's available to you if you want to use it and we also highly encourage and support families to keep kids in the service and so um, I love that Um, we do uh, have a nursery for the littlest babies especially for moms you know who are breastfeeding and have littlest babies that are crying. And so I do think that that um, is very helpful for families to have that available. And I don't think there's anything wrong with um, not wanting to put your baby in the nursery and keeping your baby in the service. I think that those, uh, both of those options are okay. That, that would be my opinion on that. I even help in my church's nursery. So <laughs> I do support having a nursery available for the littlest babies just to get through those early stages. Our church is about... Our church has always had nursery up to age three, I believe. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't, if I didn't clarify this, that doing the busy stuff, the busy bag and stuff, is just for during the sermon. It's not for mm-hmm. all of church. It's just yeah. for the sermon time. So now, a, a couple of different things that um, people have 
have asked about, and that is like cry rooms. I, I think cry rooms are a great idea um, if used wisely. The church that we attended when I just had two little ones, a PCA, had the most wonderful cry room. It was at the back of the church. Um, you could see out into the sanctuary, but I don't believe people could see in. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it was set up. So if I needed to go out and nurse the baby, I could do that. The only thing, and I've heard this from women about cry rooms, is that sometimes it becomes a visiting time for moms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, I think that, you know, one thing I really appreciated is if I went out to go nurse my baby during the service and they had the chairs set up almost like I was right there in church. If, if communion happened, you know, one of the elders would come back and bring us communion even. So we really were made part of the, of the church service. So Angela on our trip, um, we got to visit a pastor up in, in Sandpoint, Idaho. That is such a beautiful area. It's Pastor yeah. Jim Osman. Oh, yeah. Um, some people might know him. He's written, actually, a few really, really good books. Um, but we we got to park our motorhome in front of, of their home and had just such a wonderful time. But they shared about something they do in their church service. And I thought it was such a neat idea. The whole time I was listening to them talk about it, I was thinking, oh, I wish I knew about that when my kids were, were younger. But they do something called... Uh, the word of the day, and he picks a word that he knows he'll say quite a few times in that particular sermon, and he says, this is the word of the day, and the kids um, have a notebook, and during the sermon, they they have to um, try to figure out how many times he says it, and then they see who gets the, gets the exact amount, or and I guess they have one adult who keeps very good track mm. and and then they have a, a little prize for whoever gets closest i think they have some, maybe something else i don't remember but i thought that was a neat idea that so is. if you're t- let's say you think you're going to say redemption a lot and it kind of gets the kids to really listen in and you know there there's certain ages i mean like i can see a six-year-old or a seven-year-old like, okay, I'm going to listen in, you know, maybe not be so fidgety. Mm. So I, I wanted to share that idea. I, I thought that was, that was a really neat idea. We're going to just talk real quick about um, training your children in the faith, because we've kind of talked about these church things. And I do want to say that at some point, we do want to do an episode on the doctrine of the church, and really talk about that, because that's what's really important to this discussion, and maybe we should have talked about it beforehand, but that's what's really important. This isn't about, when we were talking about the Reformed and Presbyterian view um, of having our kids in the service, it's because of our theology that we believe that, not because it's our preference. And actually, let, let me back up. I am going to talk about that in a minute, but a couple people asked me to talk about something, and I don't want to neglect to talk about it, and that is some people have special needs kids, and so they may have, um, you know, a 10-year-old or any number of ages, and their their child is autistic or has some other thing going on, and, you know, I know that there are situations where, like that, where it might not be practical for you to have your child in the service. And so what I want to say about that is go to your pastor 
and come up with an idea for your situation because every situation is going to be different. And as many of you know, you know, I I was in that situation. I'll, I'll give you an example. And like I said, every child is different, but my son, Benjamin, that has cerebral palsy, he also has um, some sensory issues. And one of the senses that is um, magnified for him is sound. And when we would visit churches, like we'd be out of town and visit my parents' church where they had a praise band and it was louder. My husband would have to stay in the foyer until the music was over because uh, Benjamin would freak out. It, it was beyond, he could not handle it. it. It's not a discipline issue. It is, it is very, very difficult. I mean, when he was young, the sound of a toilet flushing was difficult for him. Sometimes uh, kids with that sort of issue will even get some sort of filters on their ears, and there's different things. We had some, some special noise-reducing headphones that we've used with him and, and things like that. And so your situation, if you have a child like that, that maybe it's just not realistic— your situation is going to be unique. And so, and I can't, you know, talk to every situation. Go to your pastor. Say, this is my situation. You know, there's nothing for my child who's 10 years old and really can't sit through the service for these reasons. Can you help me come up with something that would work for our, our family? Mm. I would I would say, too, um, for folks who don't have a special needs child, you know, show grace to your um, family members in the body who are going through difficulties with special needs kids. You know, when um, when folks need to take their kids out of the service, um, you know, just be gracious and be supportive of one another. I have really appreciated that in um, church members at my church. Um, my kids can be a little rambunctious and... Um, I would say that the other members of my church have been just so supportive and helpful to me um, with that. And so, you know, be a part of that. Jump on in and um, support other families if if they're going through difficulties with their kids. Yeah, in fact, um, sometimes we've had a, a pastor that has young children, and the pastor's wife is sitting in the pew with three young kids, and... If we didn't have young children at the time or someone else in the church would go and sit with her and help her. I mean, this is what Mm. it's this is what being part of our covenant community is about. Yes, absolutely. And it is so beautiful to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and I like what you said about, you know, being patient and gracious with other people because you you don't know what a mom may be dealing with all week. Mm -hmm. Kids, kids just you know, kids that don't have any special needs can, you know, go through a season of just being very difficult. Yeah. And maybe mom Sunday morning and she's just had a frazzled week and and needs some needs some assistance and and maybe a hug or yeah. hey, can I help you? <laughs> so it's very easy to look at one another and go, Wow, you know, that kid's big enough. He ought to be able to sit there. What is the problem? But, you know, we don't always know what other people are, are going through and, you know, they're part of our community with us. So we're there to bear one another's burdens. And um I have really appreciated being on the receiving end of that. So um I wanna be a part of doing that for others when I can. 
Yeah. And I, I actually have been thinking about that a lot recently because now that my kids are older is finding ways to help some of these younger moms in the church on catechizing our kids because I think this is this is very important. If you are new to the idea of catechism and you think, isn't that Catholic? Um, no. I mean, it, Catholics have their catechism, but the confessions and catechisms um, have always been part of the Reformed faith, and it is a way in which we teach our kids doctrine. So there is a a Presbyterian and a Baptist children's catechism. Um, it's based on, I, I know the one that we used is based on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And uh, we started catechizing our kids when they could learn to talk. So, you know, they were two years old and you could say, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. So, you know, my kids could say some of those early ones, but it it's really great because it teaches them, you know, how many persons are in the Godhead. They learn about the Trinity. They learn just really foundational doctrines of the Christian faith through learning this. And another thing, remember, is that these catechisms have the proof text. And so they are based on Scripture. We're not just saying this is what we believe based on our own ideas, but this is what we believe based on the Word of God. You can teach some of those Scripture passages along, in fact, you ought to, along with the catechism. And it's something that if, you, if it's not something you're doing at church, I will tell you that we did it all the time. You know, I was always asking my, asking my kids the questions, uh, sitting at breakfast, we do it. We'd work on it in the car. Mm-hmm. And the kids really, they would be really proud when they would learn it. Like, I'm up to question 86, you know. And so I'll, I'll highly recommend that as a great thing to do um, with kids. Do you have any ideas that you want to add to just kind of training our children in the faith? Well, I love the catechism as well. And we use the first catechism, which, as you said, is uh, yeah. based on the Westminster Shorter. And my kids love it. They call it questions. <laughs> so uh, and they uh, they will ask for it sometimes at bedtime because it's a way to uh, extend those waking hours. <laughs> oh, hey, mommy, 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 can we do questions? I really love when we do questions, but uh, they do love when we do questions. So um, I'm that quick little plug for the catechism. But um, something that I'm doing right now with my kids is I am reading a children's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And we read just a couple of uh, chapters each night. And that has been really fun. Um, and actually very helpful. Um uh, just with some different things going on with my kids right now. Um, we even talked about it today in the car. Uh, we had a selfish moment, and um, my daughter said to my son, do you remember self from the story? He was a bad guy. <laughs> so <laughs> my son said, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, that has been kind of a fun uh, little helpful tool for us uh, lately. Yeah, and uh, as they get older, there's other, you know, there's other other books that that you can do. We we did the children's one. We my husband worked second shift when my kids were young, so you know Monday through Friday he was gone at bedtime. So I would read to the kids some chapter book I was reading. And then Sunday nights is when Brent would read something like children, like Pilgrim's Progress. So he read the children's one. And then when they got older, the 
the not children's one. <laughs> So we read Narnia aloud and oh, yeah. my kids would oh, yeah. be like, one more chapter, please, mommy, yeah. please, mommy, just one more chapter. <laughs> I really don't know what to recommend right now as far as like children's story Bibles. But I will say um, we had some some Susan Hunt devotional type books uh, that had some little stories when my kids were really young and I think that I don't even I think it's hard to even get some of them now and I don't remember all the names but I think one was like seeing Christ in Genesis seeing Christ in Exodus mm. and it, they actually had catechism questions um, with them and my kids love those stories and we'd read the passage of scripture and talk about it and mm. so there are a lot of things like that and as they get older then when they start reading themselves they can you know start um, you know reading some passages by themselves but I think really in I think that there's so many opportunities, especially let's just real quick talk about moms, because one thing I saw in the family integrated church in the stuff I was reading is I didn't see a lot of talk about moms. And you know what? My husband was the one doing family worship, you know, with my kids when they were growing up. And, you know, our hus- my husband is definitely the leader in the home, but I was the one home with my kids all day, every day, you know, homeschooling my kids. And mm-hmm. so a lot of those conversations about the faith. I mean, it's amazing what questions the kids will come up with, especially when they're trying to get out of doing their math. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Question about God right now. Um, But for moms, especially stay at home moms and whether you're a homeschooling mom or not, but moms in general, um, regardless of what your life circumstance is, you have lots of opportunities to have these discussions with your kids And I think part of the training in the faith is just the everyday living. Mm, It's just the conversations, finding opportunities to talk about the Lord and things about the Lord Mm -hmm. and things from the word of God. I really think that that's really where some of the the best conversations happen when you're driving in the car. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, just remember to keep bringing it back to the gospel because, um, that is really the the heart and the meat of what um, we want to teach our kids. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes as a mom, a lot of what I'm giving my kids is law, 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 obey. You need to obey. You need to listen to mommy, look at my face, listen to my words, and then obey. So I'm giving them a lot of law. And so um, I feel like part of the challenge is to really, really look for those opportunities to give our kids the gospel and bring it back to the gospel. And I, I want to connect that to, you know, we were talking about resources a minute or two ago. Um, I will also mention um, we love R.C. Sproul's um, books for children. Oh, yes. Um, they yes, are all very gospel-centered, uh, very gospel-saturated, and my kids love those books. So, um that's sort of what I think is a big challenge. And really our goal is to just keep bringing it back to the gospel and preaching the gospel to our kids. I'm so glad you said that. And if you haven't listened to our episode with Scott Keith from a few weeks ago, I Mm. highly recommend it because he says a couple things that I think are so true. First of all, I think our default is law as parents. Our kids get law all the time. That's part of it. And Mm -hmm. we don't want the gospel to be an afterthought, but the gospel to be central to what we are um, preaching to our children. And the other thing that he said that just, who just really got me is that we sometimes expect of our children what we can't do ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Where we expect perfection from our children when we know we're sinning. 
um, all the time. And so bringing the gospel in really is what brings that opportunity for repentance and the Lord's work in their hearts. You know, we have a couple questions and we are out of time. So I'm going to jot them down for a future, I guess, question Question and answer answer episode. episode. (laughs) We love those coming soon. And just a reminder of a few things. Uh, Let me see. I think I got three things. So first of all, if you don't know, we have Theology Gals merchandise, and that's linked on our website. Um, Second of all, if you want to support the work that we're doing, it just helps cover our expenses. Uh, There's on our website, again, you can support us monthly or give a one-time donation. And if you have anything that you would like us to talk about, whether it's a question for a question and answer episode or like, can you please talk about, you know, whatever it might be, please email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We love getting feedback. Um, it really is so encouraging to us because we're just two ladies sitting, you know, having a conversation. And it really just I've just received so many encouraging messages and emails. And so Feel free to email us with some feedback or something you didn't agree with us on, or maybe we misrepresented <laughs> something. That's okay too. And just we appreciate we appreciate everyone listening. So we will be back next week.